So friends, we are nearing the end of our journey through the Psalms of Ascent, this uh, beloved playlist for travelers. God gave this, this playlist, this traveling playlist to his people that were on a journey, on a dangerous journey. One author has called it a long obedience in the same direction. This, uh, this hazardous journey reflects the journey of our life. Christians, friends, do not escape sorrow or danger in life. But the Christian's journey is different because even though we have sorrows and dangers and toils and snares, the Christian journey is different because we have hope. Amen? We have hurts as well, but God gives us ways to express our emotions caused by the pain of this life. It it's called the Psalms. He's given us the book of Psalms so to, to express those emotions that you feel but maybe don't know how to express or maybe you express your emotions too much and you have to have them under control. God has given us the book of Psalms for you to express those emotions. He's made you emotional creatures. I wonder, uh, have you ever been betrayed? What emotions does that cause in you? What, is that, what emotions does that cause in the Christian traveler? Have you ever been betrayed? Psalm 120 says how to express your emotion, emotions if you have been. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. The sorrow of betrayal moves the Christian traveler to hope because of the Lord. Have you ever felt hurt? because of this hazardous journey. Based on the sheer danger of the journey, have you felt hurt? How should a Christian traveler respond when they feel hurt and unsafe? Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In Psalm 122, it reminds us that we are on a journey to a place. Do you, do you remember the saying, it's not about the destination, but about the journey? Did anyone else think that's a dumb saying? <laughs> was it just me? No, it is, it is true that the journey is great, and we should be enjoying the journey and settle down and take time to enjoy this life that we have. But for the Christian, it's not only about the destination, but it is also about the destination, we, we are headed to a place, and Psalm 122 says, let us go to the house of the Lord. This journey for us, Christian, ends in the most lovely place that the psalmist calls Mount Zion, a place where God dwells with his people, where he sees them and they see him, the maker of of heaven and earth, the one enthroned in heaven came down to comes down to dwell with his people in a certain place called Mount Zion or Jerusalem. The destination that Mount Zion is the culmination of all of our hope because there in Mount Zion we will be with the one who is our hope. So how can God's people have hope on a journey that's full of dangers, toils, and snares? How, how can God's people have that? You know, 
God's people, Israel, who first had this curated playlist, they were coming back from exile. They were coming back from a place where they had been exiled because of their sins. And for decades, they had been exiled from Jerusalem with the words of King Cyrus in their ears. They're making the journey back to Jerusalem. And King Cyrus says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all of his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So here's a pagan king that says, God has charged me with rebuilding the house in Jerusalem. Now all you exile people, go. What must have they been feeling like? People exiled from their homeland for decades, for years and years and years, and now they're going home. There's hope, right? There's hope. You can imagine there's hope with them, but there's also lots of questions. God let this happen once. Will he do it again? He let us be exiled once. Will he let us be exiled again? I just want to ask you a question to be thinking about during the rest of this sermon. Do we trust our past experiences or do we trust in God who makes promises? Do you you trust? That's the question for you, weary traveler. Do you trust in yourself or in the God who makes promises? Do you trust your promises more than you trust God's promises? That is to say, do you trust your own good works over God's good grace? So this 13th song on our playlist, this, this Spotify playlist for the travelers back to Jerusalem is a song about promises. In, in an effort to strengthen our hope in God, the songwriter writes the song, Promises, Promises. So inspire hope. Remember, Jason taught us a few weeks ago, hope is, hope is not an uncertain thing, like I really hope my fantasy football team is good. It's not that. Two of you have fantasy football teams. The rest of you are like, I don't get it. It's not uncertain like I hope this. It is hope is certain but unseen. So friends, you can hope in God because of his good promises. You can hope in God because of his promises. And I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. Hope in God results in prayer to God for God to keep his promises. So God is going to God rules through his king to bring to bring peace and and justice to his people. God rules through that king and and one of the ways he rules is through his promises. Promises. So I want to exhort you. Are you hopeful? If not, I want you to hope in God. I don't want you to just be an optimist. I want you to hope in God. And then pray to him to keep his promises. And that, that's the outline of the sermon this morning. We're just going to look at two, two points. The king promises to God and God promises to the king. The king promises to God and God promises to the king. As Bonnie already read for us in Psalm 132, 1 through 5, many people believe this is a prayer of Solomon. And in this prayer, he encourages us, by his example, to pray to God when things look like they might be threatening. He says, O Lord, 
remember in David's favor all the hardships he endured. How he swore to the Lord. Here's the king's promise to God. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. What did he vow? I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the mighty one of Jacob. David's promise to God. Evan helpfully introduced us to the, to the Davidic covenant last week in, the, in, Psalm, 120, in Psalm 131, which is sort of uh, an expression of, of trust in, in God in that short psalm uh, of saying, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to dwell on things too heavy for me, too mighty for me, too glorious for me, but I'm going to rest in God like a weaned child does. I'm, I'm going to rest in him. And, and he exhorts us, oh Israel, hope in the Lord. How can we hope in the Lord for this time and forevermore? We could hope in God because of his promises. Now look at the king who promises to God. Why does the song, why does this song, then this writer, psalmist, pray for God to remember David? Well, because there's some immediate or seeming threat to the kingship, to the kingdom, to, to, to God's promises being fulfilled that there would be a king on the throne forever. Many commentators think this is if Solomon wrote this song or that someone was sort of riffing off of his prayer in 2 Chronicles 6 when he's dedicating Solomon's temple, the greatest temple ever, ever made and ever built, the most beautiful thing. And, and Solomon is dedicating that in a prayer to God. And if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read all of 2 Chronicles 6. It's a beautiful prayer. And Solomon knew, you can tell from his prayer, that the kingship and the kingdom and his very life is on a razor's edge. It was one generation away from compromise and dismantling. And, and friends, so is the gospel. So, is, so are gospel churches at least that's how it seems. We are always one generation away from losing the gospel. As we take the gospel for granted or we're not clear on what the gospel is, the next generation will not know. They'll take it for granted. So we want to hold on to it. We want to guard it. And we want to pass it on to those. And if we don't hold on and guard the faith once for all delivered, our lampstand could be taken away. And David knew that. And Solomon knew that. That's why we want to guard the gospel so closely, by rehearsing it every Sunday, but every day of our lives. And what is this prayer referring to, friends? This promise, this prayer about the promise the king made to David. Well, in 2 Samuel, the first king of Israel, Saul, died. He died in the battle against the Philistines, and, and Saul could never quite conquer Israel's enemies, but David then becomes king, God's chosen king, the man after God's own heart. Saul was big and tall and handsome, and, and God warned them, do not look on the outward appearance, but look on the heart. And here comes David, who's a little bit smaller. He's the youngest of his, of his clan, and Samuel himself almost overlooked him. And, and here he comes from the sheep pen, and, and he, he, he's maybe not the best looking of them all or not the strongest of them all, but he has faith in God. And here comes the king who was chosen to rule God's people. God's king David showed he was God's chosen king by God anointing him through Samuel, but also by defeating Israel's enemies, the Philistines. 
just like he, he defeated the bear and the lion, Israel, uh, David comes, God's great king over Israel, and rules over Israel by defeating their enemies, the Philistines, by taking hold of God's promises and saying, you, you know, Goliath, you are not going to slander the Lord God of hosts. It's him who is going to bring salvation to Israel this day. And the king of God rules through the promises of God by defeating Israel's enemies. That's what God's king does. He also does it by bringing the ark of God back to Jerusalem, the place of peace. So how do you know, friends, a leader is chosen by God? Maybe at some point in your life you'll move on from this church and you'll go to another church. How do you know the leaders of those churches are appointed by God? Now, there's not a one-to-one correlation, the king of Israel and the pastor of a church. No, 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 no. I'm just saying in general, how do you know leaders are chosen by God? Well, based on King David's example, he does good to God's people, he serves them, and he, does, and he, and he, and he brings God's presence to God's people. He administers God's rule by making plans for God to dwell with his people. David brought the ark, the symbol of God's presence, where God, where God made his presence dwell between the cherubim, above the mercy seat, the seat of atonement. And, and it was neglected in Saul's reign, and they didn't know where it was. And David finally, as a, a ruler, a king after God's own heart, he finds the ark and he brings it back to God through, through much trial and through much tribulation, through, through much heartache, he brings it back. This is what God's king does. He he rules uh, through bringing God's promises to bear on God's people and God's presence to, to be with God's people. This is what happens, friends. Every time the word is preached from a pulpit like this, God dwells with his people through his word, through his message. That's why preaching is so important. It's not the only thing we do here, or you know, maybe not even the most important thing we do here, but it is a priority here because that's how God rules through his people. And if, if you wanna be a, someone like Solomon and pray like Solomon, pray every Sunday in this church and other churches that God would dwell with his people through his word. I am so thankful that in August, I, didn't, I wasn't in the pulpit one time, but every, every sermon I heard from this pulpit, God was dwelling with his people through the word because each time the word was pointing to Jesus. Even though it was in the Psalms, the word was pointing to Jesus and, and Jesus was here dwelling with his people, just like in Revelation as he's walking up and down the aisles of this church as he dwells with you through his word. God dwells with his people. And that's how you, how you know a leader of God's people is ordained by God. Does he want God's people to have God's word dwell with them? David makes a vow to bring the ark back and he will do whatever it takes. And this is the only time you'll, you'll see this vow in scripture. I will not enter my house. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber. This is a poetic way of saying whatever it takes. I will give up myself so God's people can have God's presence. I will be a servant to God's presence for his people. And that's what God's king does. God's king will give up sleep. God's king, King David, will, will not enter his house until God's presence is dwelling with God's people. He wants God to dwell with his people so bad. 
I wonder, dear friends, do you pray these kinds of prayers for fellow members, for fellow churches in our town? God, please dwell with them through your word. Make your presence known to them. May they have the joy of their salvation through Jesus Christ. Those are good prayers to pray. And I know that some of you do pray those prayers, and I, I am so thankful. And that's why the, the testimony of this specific church has gone on for almost 11 years, is because the prayers of God's people, that he would dwell with us and in this town and, and beyond. And this is what God's king must do. He leads the people. In verse 6 and 7, we see that he wants the ark, he wants God's presence to dwell with his people so bad, and finally... It's found. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. And he's leading God's people. Come on, let's go to his dwelling place. Let's go be with our God. Let's go to him. And that's Jaar is a, we think Jaar is a, is shortened for Kiriath-Jerim, where, where David found the Ark of the Lord, where he was dwelling in the house of Obed-Edom, and the, and the family and the town was blessed, and, and, and now the Ark is found, and they want to bring it back because God wants to dwell with his people. And then he asked the Lord, not only will we go to you, but God, please arise and come to us. In verses 8 through 10, arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy for the sake of your servant David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. And so here we see that the king, God's king, asked the Lord to arise and go to his resting place, the ark of his might. This is where the priests are mediating God's righteous presence to God's people. They're offering sacrifices and making prayers and, and doing ritual washings as a means of atoning for God's people. And, and what effect does this salvation have on God's people? They shout for joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord comes and, and, and his presence dwells and, and the saints are shouting for joy. When God's king leads God's people into God's ruling presence, the results are joy. Now, it can mean a lot of things if you don't have joy when you come to worship with God's people. But one of the things you can pray for is that as you dwell on the salvation God has given you, it will result in your joy, regardless of the sorrow and hurt you're feeling, that dwelling on the salvation God provides would result in your joy and others' joy. And then in verse 10, he repeats his request with this parallel thought for God to remember. Do not turn away your face from your anointed one. This was King, King David's promise to God. He, he was making promises to God, and they're appropriate promises for a, a king to make about God's people. But I think if we, if we shift our thinking just a little bit, it can be dangerous for us to think that our promises to God are more important than his promises to us. And this is the way many American Christians, but Western Christians and uh, 
religious, I should say religious people, actually think of what Christianity is, a contract. We make a promise to God, and then he has to reciprocate and make a promise to us. It's a contract versus a covenant. It is, it is God's king who makes promises to God to rule over God's people. But it's actually, as we're going to see in the, in the next verses, it's actually God who makes the promise. It's a covenantal. It's, it's God who's actually making the choice. As Evan told us last week, that King David wanted to build a house for God, but God said, no, I'm going to build a house for you. You want to just build a cedar home for the Ark of the Covenant? I'm going to build you a dynasty of kings that's going to last forever. It's God's choice. Is it your choice or God's choice? God's choice. And he enters into covenant with you, and then he, and then he makes sure that the covenant is meted out through, through his actions. Do you think you earn your salvation or earn your justification? You justify yourself before God? You make promises and do your best to keep them. Friends, we can never finally keep our promises to God. Only God can keep his promises to us. God's king did bring salvation and joy to God's people, and that was the right thing for him to do. David actually did that, but it didn't last. David died. And in 586 BC, the Ark of the Covenant was taken into Babylon and has never been seen again. Not even Indiana Jones could recover it. And then this prayer ends with a request for God to fulfill David's promises. What Israel needed, what David needed, and what you and I need and long for is someone to make a promise and keep their promise. God's promises. Now God, we move from David's, the king's promise to God, and now God's promise to the king. Notice right away the difference in the oath God swears to King David in verse 11. Do you notice it? What's the difference in the king's oath and the Lord's oath? The Lord swore to David a what? A what oath? A sure oath, thank you, from which he will not turn back. When God promises, when God enters into a covenantal relationship with people, and when he chooses to do it, it is a sure oath, and he will not turn back. The CSB says it's a promise he will not abandon. A promise he will not abandon. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. David wants a dwelling place for God, but God wants an everlasting dynasty for David. Friends, may I just say that God always wants something better than we can imagine. He always wants something better for you than you can imagine. Right now, you, can, you, you imagine your life a certain way, and it can only be that way, and it's only good if it is that way. But God wants to rule his people through a forever king forever. He says in verse 12, if your son keeps a covenant and, and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. And I don't know about you, every election cycle, there's a growing reality in my heart that I want a righteous king, president. I, you guys don't even want me to talk about the election coming up, right? In 2024. Nobody here does. Uh, but 
can we think about it? And we have an election coming up. Um, what, what does that say in us? If we want a righteous king, we want a righteous president. It doesn't matter which party's in power, does it? They're all disappointing. Amen? Amen. Every one of them is disappointing, whether you think they are or not. They are. And David was a righteous king, but in the end, he was disappointing. He committed adultery. He murdered. And then he asked forgiveness from God. Solomon was disappointing. He brought peace and prosperity to Israel, but his heart was turned after other gods because of his wives, and he died. And the rest of the kings were a disaster, with a few exceptions. They're just a total disaster until they go into exile. And friend, I just want to say that you're longing for a good and righteous king or president, and your disappointment in every human king, every human president, Every human ruler, this disappointment is an evidence that there is a God. Where else does it come from? Are, are, you, are you born with a, a sort of justice and righteousness within you? Where, did that come from evolutionary biology? Or did that come from a creator God who, who exists and speaks the world into existence because he is just and righteous? Friend, he has put eternity in your heart and a longing for a righteous ruler. That's why you want it. And he's the only one that is that righteous ruler. He's the only one that can fulfill it. And the rest of this psalm shows us what kind of king we all desire. And the Bible tells us that there's only one person that can match that job description. Verses 13 through 18, 4 the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests will I clothe with salvation, and her saints with sh will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David, and I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. Friends, God loves place. He created places and blesses places like Zion, even like Corvallis. But what he loves more than places are people like you. And that is what Zion and Jerusalem represent, a place where he dwells with his people. And this is what he desires. In, in order to rule his people, he sent kings like David and Solomon. But in order to save them, he had to go himself. He sent his one and only son to rule over his people. He, he ruled through his service on this earth, through coming to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And he ruled through his death. What kind of king does that? Well, God the king, in order to win back his beloved bride, he came to serve and to die. And while this psalm looks forward to this kind of salvation, we read to the New Testament, and it tells us in real time that, the, that God sent his greater king, the son of David, the son of God, Jesus Christ to come to this earth, to be Emmanuel, God with us. How does the king rule? He rules through his presence with his people, administering the promises, fulfilling them, and Jesus is the only one that could do that. 
And when he came, he brought a glimpse of what the kingdom would be after he finally crushed death under his feet. God promises that he would abundantly bless his people with provision. You saw that in there. It was a, it, it's sort of a, maybe even a, a greater expansion and fulfillment of, of the king's promise to God that there's, there's joy with God's people because the true king, God himself, is going to provide for his people. I will satisfy her with bread. And when, when the true king, Jesus Christ, came to his people who were hungry, he said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats of me will never be hungry. One of the reasons, friends, that we struggle with hoping in God is because we forget to look back to God's promises. And we forget to look forward to the fulfillment of them. After David, Israel was left wanting for a king. And God, God gave them other kings. Even King Solomon was a great king, but not quite like David. But, in King Jesus, we see God's promise finally fulfilled to his people. That king, the king of the universe, is the only one that brought lasting, eternal salvation through his life and death and resurrection and ascension back to God. As the king humbled himself and became man, he walked on this earth as the God-man. He came as the true king of Israel, of the world, God promised, we read in there, a horn to sprout for David. Well, what, is it, what does that mean, a horn? A horn was a symbol of strength and might. And here comes this horn, this, this promise from God is that there would be a horn to sprout, there would be strength and might to sprout for David, the one that had been cut down because of, ex, the kingship that had been cut down because of exile and death. There's a horn to sprout for David. And it is that one, it is the king, King Jesus, the one who rules through his, his immediate presence with us. Where David was weak, his horn would be strong. And God promised a lamp for the anointed. You see there in, at the end of the verses, uh, verse 17, I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. The light of the world has, has come in Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter one, we, we see that this fulfillment was in Jesus through Zechariah's prophecy. He says, starting verse 69, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that, he would be saved from our, that we would be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you child, will be called the prophet of the most high. This Jesus, John the Baptist, will be the prophet of the most high God. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. See the destined day arise. 
see this horn of salvation, this might and strength come in weakness and resurrect into strength. The light of the world who looked like he was put out because of death now reigns forevermore, shining light on all who will receive him by faith. Oh, dear friends, you can hope in God's good promises because the true king has made promises to God and has fulfilled them. The true king, Jesus, made promises to God, I will go and I will lay my life down for this people, for you. And he did it. And he rose again from the dead. You can hope in God because God has made promises to the king and has fulfilled them, is fulfilled them, fulfilling them, and will finally fulfill them. So friend, I I don't know where you are in your journey of life. I, I don't know if you need to hear for the first time Trust in God's good promises and he will save you. Or the darkness has has overwhelmed you and you need to be brought back and reminded that God's good promises will save you because he will fulfill them and has fulfilled them in Jesus. Friends, the true king is ruling God's people. God's king is ruling God's people by administering his promises and his presence to them. He's doing that in his very word this morning with you. I exhort you, trust him. Give your life to him. Pray for others that that his presence and his promises will rule them as well. And may God be glorified and and, and the king be happy and give us joy even today. Let's pray. God, we pray that your word would rule and dwell in us richly. Dwell in us in such a way that your promises bring joy to us, even in our sorrows, our laments. Lead us to hope in Jesus. And even as we sorrow, help us to sorrow as those who have hope. Help us not to be fake, Life is hard. Life apart from your immediate presence is hard, and life in sin is hard, and we ask that by your presence and your promises, you would calm us and give us joy. We pray that you would rule over us in love. In Jesus' name, amen.